Well, Genesis 32, we'll pick back up on the first part of 32 next week, but I'll give you some recap here as we go so that we're not just lost in the darkness here along with Jacob. Um, as we are in Genesis 32, 22 through 32, let's, let's do a little recap because I don't want to assume that everyone's been here uh, for all of the weeks. Uh, and I also want to make sure that we're all caught up for and kind of get the picture which Jacob truly is wrestling here in the dark uh, before God ever really shows up. So um, here's what we remember about Jacob and his life, right? Is that he has stolen the birthright and the blessing of the firstborn from his brother Esau. He did so by lying to his father. When his father said, who is this? He said, it's your son. I am Esau. Even though he knew it was Jacob, and this was all part of the concocted plan to steal and get the birthright, which God did indeed promise uh, many chapters before. So as he does this, Esau sees all this happening, and he responds, and he is ready to murder his brother Jacob. So Jacob's mom and dad send him out to go get uh, a wife from their kinsman up in Laban's home, which is uh, his uncle ultimately. And uh, he goes, and he doesn't get one wife, he gets two. He doesn't want to, but he has two. And then he has two more concubines, and he ends up having 12 children over 20 years, 11 sons, one daughter. And he's there, and he leaves eventually. He schemes his way out of the home in the house of Laban. And as we saw last week, it was God who said, hey, Jacob, it's time to go back home. 20 years have passed. And Laban's disposition towards you has changed. It's time to head back home. And what we find in the first part of 32 is that as he's headed home, he knows Esau is likely waiting for him. Yes, 20 years have gone by, but that grudge has not died. And what we'll find is that he sends messengers out ahead of his party, and the messengers come back and they go, we found Esau. That's the good news. We know where he is. The bad news is, though, Jacob, is that he's on his way to meet you with 400 men. Now, if you're Jacob, you immediately realize this is no greeting or welcome party. This is an army to come and kill you and your family. And so we find Jacob in the darkness, in the desert, alone, right? And as he's alone and as he's there, he is desperate for God to show up. He is desperate for God to comfort him. Lord, you've promised me all these things. You, you said to go back, so, so will you comfort me in this time? And will you, will you just show up and speak a word of comfort over me? Or maybe I'll go to sleep tonight, and you'll give me one of those vivid, beautiful dreams that I've come to know and love that you've given me over time. Would you help me in this? And there is a prayer that Josue is going to unpack next week, and it's really beautiful. It is a prayer of desperation. It is a prayer of pleading with God. And just in that moment, when he needs God's comfort the most, when he needs his presence the most, what does God do? He shows up, and he, like, jumps off the top rope, elbow, and puts it right in Jacob's chest. He engages in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the patriarch. What is going on? on. That's what I think about in this particular passage. What do we do when God shows up? He answers our prayer for comfort. He answers our prayer to be present, to protect us, but he does so in a way that is, dare I say, a bit offensive. You see, this is what I have, well, I entitled it one thing and then I switched it up. 
I entitled it in my mind, and I'm going to show it to you, is when, when, when God picks a fight. But I, 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 I dumbed it down for myself. When God wrestles with us, what do we do when God wrestles with us, when he instigates a fight with us? You see, the ESV indeed says Jacob wrestles with God, but don't get it twisted. God is the one that tracks Jacob down and wrestles with him. Jacob wants nothing to do with this fight. He just wants a comforting word. And yet God engages in a way that he did not expect, but he ultimately needed. I would say many of us have grown desperate like Jacob. We need to hear God. We need to see him pull through. Our marriages are a mess. This kid won't listen. I'm a kid and I'm angry. We need God to fix our situation. Our job just is absolutely unfulfilling or challenging. Anybody in the teacher world? Okay. First year of teaching, you're like, I mean, first week of teaching, you're like, I'm so glad to be back. Okay. I, whoo, my knees just got weak. What is God doing in these moments when it's absolutely uncomfortable and yet God has come down and wrestled with his people? I would say, again, this passage is going to encourage us, for those of us that are desperate for his blessing, for those that are desperate to hear his voice, this passage is going to encourage you to persevere. Don't let go of whatever God is in this moment in prayer. Don't let go until he blesses you. Don't let go until he hears you and he answers you. And it may not be. It likely won't be the answer that you'd hoped. But don't let go. Persevere with him. All of us in our desperation are faced with a decision at one point or another in our walks with God. And here is the fork in the road that I think Jacob ultimately is forced to reckon with. Would you rather get all that you want in this life and not have Jesus? Or would you give it all up just to have him? You can have your kingdom. You can have your comfort. You can have your power. You can have your control. But you don't have him. Or you can give up your control and your comfort, and your power, and your acceptance, but you get Jesus, the one who will engage you in hand-to-hand combat because he loves you? Which one are you going to run with? Because ultimately, at some point or another, this decision will be put before you not once, but multiple times. As you guys know, I don't have an office, and so I find myself officing in all the free air-conditioned places. You usually have coffee, hopefully good coffee. This week, I was officing in one of those places, and I was surprised by an old friend. I haven't seen him in a long time. He is a believer and yet has not been in church for many years. And I've just said, hey, like, how's your work? Man, it's awful. It's this. I said, bro, it's been awful for as long as I've known you. It's been tearing you down for as long as I've known you. It's 80-hour weeks for as long as I've known you. And I just presented the question to him. You ever think God making it hard on you to get you? Everything God's making it hard on you so that you will give all that up, so that you will find that you truly will find your deepest treasure in him? And he just looked at me, he's like, well, how much is enough? I don't know, man, when are you ready to surrender? And we ended our lunch, and we went our separate ways, and I texted him, hey, man, been praying for you since I saw you, love you, bro. Thanks. I hope it sinks in. Don't know that it has. There is a point in life where God will rescue us from ourselves by wrestling with us. 
So what do we do when God answers our pleas for his presence? But he surprises us with a wrestling match. Here's what I hope you see through this passage. That God is gracious to descend, to wrestle with sinners. Even when we don't want the match, he is gracious in those moments. Even when he touches our hip and wounds us, his grace abounds. That's what I hope you see. So when he surprises us with an MMA match, and we were just hoping for a yes, Lord, here's what I hope we see when God wrestles with us. The first thing that I think we can see in this is that God's wrestling is cloaked in mystery. Read with me, verses 22 through 24. The same night he arose, that's Jacob, and he took his two wives, that's Rachel and Leah, and his two female servants and his 11 children. Don't get hung up like I have. He has 12 children. One of them's a female. That hurts me as a daughter of two females. And yet this is a very patriarchal world that this was uh, written in. And yet ultimately what we see is that Dinah, uh, she's going to have her whole cha- a whole chapter designated to her in a couple of, of weeks. And it's rough. So prepare yourself now by reading ahead. But Dinah was not one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It is the 11 sons that have been born to this point. Benjamin is yet to come. And that's the emphasis here from Moses as he writes to Israel is how did we become a people? And it's through these 11 sons that we became a people. So he takes all of them and he crosses the ford of the Jabbok, which is a river. It's a tributary that runs perpendicular to the Jordan River, and he crosses over, and he sends everyone and everything he knows into the promised land. But Jacob stays back. He took them, and he sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And y'all know that meme, that gif, with that dude sitting there? It feels like God is just like, oh yeah, man, this is my time. He's alone. Sorry, all y'all that love gifts are laughing and everybody else is like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's all right. Here it is. God has his man and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. There's three things that are here that are mysterious to me. Many more I'm sure that we could find. But look, who is this man? Is it Esau? That's who Jacob is preparing for. Is it Esau that just all of a sudden starts to show up and takes Jacob, but there's, he doesn't, where, did, where did he come from? Where is he headed? Who is this man? Hosea refers to him as the angel, what we will come to know as the angel of the Lord, which is usually God incarnate. Usually it's a theophany that it's God that's there in the flesh and blood long before we knew a guy named Jesus. He's here wrestling with Jacob. Jacob realizes that it is God in this moment, or at least at the end of this, because he's pleading with him and asking him for a blessing. What we'll find is that there's only one person that can rename someone to show authority and ownership, and it's God. But Jacob is as confused as you and I, right? But here's what this shows. This is a way that God operates. He will just show up as a dude in the Old Testament. And he will wrestle with us. And I will say this for us here today, 
uh, maybe it's not a man that's wrestling us. Maybe it's through circumstances, which Jacob is certainly in. But friends, let us be careful not to label every difficulty in our lives as a spiritual attack that the enemy has now come against us. Because I would bet you that Jacob is probably fighting that temptation. Oh, no. You're answering me, or where is God in this moment that he might be tempted to think where there's difficulty, there must be the devil. And that is not true. Oftentimes, where there's difficulty, the Lord is there, standing, teaching, being patient with us, and yet wrestling. Jacob is wrestling with a man, and he is doing so, and it appears that God waited for this exact moment that he was alone. I think many of us take solace, take comfort in the fact that our family and our friends are around us. When our deepest moments of difficulty happen, we text or we send a group me. Jacob didn't have that, obviously. He sends his people across the river, and he's left alone, and God has him right where he wants him. And as much as I love the ideal of a growth group where we fight for each other's faith, we wrestle with one another for each other's holiness, right? I love that ideal. There are some things in your faith where God's going to get you alone, and it's you and him, and no one else can do it for you. And you're either going to walk away from that fight, or you're going to go, all right, it ain't my favorite thing to wrestle with you, because I'm going to lose, but it's for my good, so let's go. I love that idea. I love that this is a beautiful picture of the way that God operates, or a way that God operates, and he does so in the darkness. When there's deep mystery, when you can't see your hand in front of your face, you ever been in that kind of darkness? That's the kind of darkness that Jacob was in. And it's no wonder that the end of that darkness, the angel, the Lord, says, I've got to go now, the sun's about to come up. You can't see me and live. So God engages with this man in the darkness, and there are all sorts of circumstances which can lead us into spiritual and emotional darkness, whether it be divorce or miscarriage or the loss of a job or financial ruin or death or whatever it may be. But as Christians, this story right here, this this mysterious wrestling match, Christians, as as Christians, we've got to be invited, not just how do I get out of this match, but oh Lord, what are you teaching me in this moment? What are you showing me about myself and about you, oh Lord, that I could learn no other way than to engage in this moment? There's mystery, but God is instructive in the mystery. There's darkness, but God is showing up even amidst the darkness. So as we wrestle with him, we have to remember there is mystery. We're not going to figure this out a lot of days. And I know I've sat with many of you. There are many times, most of the time that we're processing is because our lives are cloaked in mystery. We have no idea how to make heads or tails of it. It's a good place to be. God is inviting you into that place to wrestle with him, to discern his will, and to figure out what it is God's calling you to next. What a beautiful gift. But it doesn't end there. Second thing we need to understand about uh, ultimately what it is that this God who wrestles with us is teaching us is that I think there's a question here. Is God striving against Jacob or for Jacob? 
You see, God wrestles with us in as much as it is for our good. When he wrestles with us, it is purposed for good. God fights with you only in as much as it is for you. Y'all hear that now? Y'all are going to think about that later. It might be three months from now when you're going to need to hear that, but just bank it away. Our God will fight with you only in as much as it is for you. So even if it hurts to the point of death, it is for you. Our God has not promised just to be with us. Our God has promised to be for us. And those two beautiful postures should illuminate for us the kind of God that so loves us that he will not allow us to stay the same over our years. Remember our boy Jacob? He's re-entering the promised land. He has just sent everything he owns and everyone he loves across the river. And he's not allowed to go yet. Not until God has his way with him. What, what do you mean God needs to have his way with him? I don't know that Jacob's a believer yet. If you look at the details of the narratives in Genesis 31.5, in Genesis 31.42, in Genesis 32.9, you know Jacob never says, my God? You know what he says? I'll just read for you a couple of those verses, or, or a couple of the references. The God of my father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the fear of Isaac, never my God. But before he enters into the promised land, God is going to reckon with Jacob's faith, which is kept at an arm's length. You ever wrestle with somebody? Like, it's a little exhilarating. I haven't wrestled in some time, except for with Moses. Uh, otherwise, that would be weird, but maybe we should wrestle later. I don't know. But when you wrestle with someone, it is impossible. We used to call it meeting out in high school. Those dudes are meeting out. Um, I don't know why, but that's what we used to call it. Uh, meatheads meeting out. So when the meatheads would meet out, they would uh, like emerge from the pile of flesh and be all sweaty, and there was no way to distinguish my sweat from your sweat, my blood from your blood. No, we're in it together, and there's an intimacy. There's an eye-to-eye. -eye, there's a brow-to-brow wrestling that's happening right here. There's an intimacy which God is forcing upon Jacob in a beautiful and good way because it's for his good. Our God is wrestling with Jacob for his good. And what is God's good purpose? Jacob needed a deepened faith and strengthened character. Jacob's life reeks of self-sufficiency. Jacob's life reeks of win at all costs. It reeks of the ends, justifies the mean. i got to get that blessing, y'all, and I'm going to get it however I need to get it. And that is not a man that God is going to use in the promised land going forward. And God is reckoning Jacob to himself in this moment. That mentality does not belong in the promised land, and so God is purging away his man of that which no longer fits with a beautiful and intimate relationship with God. Yes, God will do anything to you. Listen, y'all. God will do anything to you as long as it is for you. But he will not pass that threshold so we can rest and be assured that God's good character 
might be pushing us to the brink so that we could emerge a different person than when we came in. That's the beauty of our God. That's the promise of Romans 8.28, isn't it? Mm, God is working all things together for the good for those that love him. All things, even wrestling with him in the midst of mystery and darkness. And he doesn't even know who this dude is yet. But he's figuring it out, isn't he? See, God requires nothing of you to come to him, but he will do all things necessary to make you into someone who represents, represents the king and the kingdom of love and sacrifice. So good people of the grove, are you growing in your faith? God may be causing, allowing difficult circumstances in your life to create in you the type of person in the future that does not stand before him today? Are you stagnantly frustrated with your faith? And could it be that God has been waiting in the dark to wrestle the greediness away from you? To wrestle all that which your hands could hold away from you so that you don't get under the curse of self-sufficiency, of self-reliance, of self-absorption. And he is wrestling those parts out of you so that eventually you will walk away growing, surrendering. Friends, become more sacrificial in your faith. If you're not becoming more of a sacrificial person, a more loving person to those that offend you, to those that disappoint you, to your enemies, as Jesus has to say, if you've not become more forgiving of other people's sins and shortcomings, we're falling short of what God expects of us. God is calling us forward He may wrestle those parts away from us, but he awaits, and he longs for your good. I love a passage that I've been quoting quite recently to some of the new neighborhood group leaders that have been getting trained up over the summer. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, look at how God so wants our growth. Look at the the language through our, our brother Paul that he writes. If you want to know the ethos of any growth group or neighborhood group or this Sunday gathering or really anything that happens at the Grove, this is the undercurrent underneath why we do what we do. It's in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, that's Jesus, and we warn everyone and we teach everyone with all of his wisdom that we may present everyone, not just our favorite people, everyone mature In Christ, maturity comes by way of warning. Maturity comes by way uh, of teaching. Maturity comes by way of proclamation. Maturity comes by way of wisdom. And someone there, verse 29, for this, Paul says, I toil, I work, I put every effort, I struggle with all of God's energy. I don't have enough energy for this. I struggle with all of God's energy so that that he may powerfully work within me. Parents, you want to know why there's, or or students, you want to know why sometimes your parents are just difficult for being difficult because they love you and they toil for you and they struggle for you and they want to present you mature. And that takes time and effort and difficulty. And in that moment, your parent is stepping into the place of God in this story and going, I'm going to wrestle with you for as long as it takes. I'll go all the way to daybreak because they love you. It's for your good not to make your life miserable, 
to make it better. Better in him. Thirdly, and I'd like to say lastly, but it's not. This wrestling match, when he wrestles with us, it leaves us marked for him. Look in verse 25 through 28. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. You know that sciatica nerve that everybody complains about as they get older? Let me get this right. Skadoosh. I apparently was saying it wrong in staff meeting, and I was humbly corrected by our new uh, kids leader. So thank you, Kristen. She goes, just, uh, just the one thing, before you get up there, and you say the wrong thing about Disney movie like you did last week about Mustafa instead of Mufasa, just you got to tell me, it's not Skadoosh, it's Skadoosh. <laughs> you're welcome. And you're welcome for me bringing it up in front of everybody. That's the beauty of staff. Skadoosh. He does a kung fu panda, right? And he just touches his hip. And all of a sudden, it's out of socket. He touches his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Jacob ain't giving up, though. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. That's what God says to Jacob. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And God said to Jacob, what's your name? Oh, man. And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have endured or have prevailed. When God is done with this wrestling match and Jacob won't give up, the day is about to break, God does something remarkable. He marks his man permanently by throwing his hip out of socket with just a little touch to his sciatica nerve. You might be asking yourself, why does God do that? That seems a little cruel. Couldn't he have not permanently marked him with something else? Yeah, yeah, he could have. But he chose to do it this way. I don't know about you, but when I wrestle with my kids, this little scene reminds me of any time I've wrestled with my kids, like there comes a point where you know if we keep going, someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> and it's not going to be me. Have you rolled over on your kid's arm or their ki your kid's leg and you go, I don't know how that didn't just snap because I just rolled over and it's all, and he's, okay, they're still giggling, okay, we're good, but that probably doesn't need to happen again with any more force than what it just did, otherwise someone's going to be going to the ER or urgent care or whatever else. I mean, this is God's heart in this moment, like, hey, bro, we got to be done, otherwise this is going to get out of hand. And what would be out of hand isn't that he doesn't walk away, it's that he gets hurt unintentionally. God is absolutely intentioned on wounding Jacob. Now, friends, this is a hard part of following Jesus. He will intentionally wound us. Do you believe that about him? Here's what I think the lie is. God doesn't want me to get sick. You, you surely you've heard that. God wants health and wellness for his people. Or wholeness. Let's bring that back. God wants all these things for his people. He does not want to harm us. He does not, matter of fact, he has a future. His plans for us to succeed. It says it right there on the wall from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> he has all this for you, and that's true. In the midst of that banner of truth, there are difficulties along the way, 
where he will touch you and he will wound you in order to heal you. There's a great lie amongst us that God cares more about our physical or emotional health than he does care about our spiritual vitality. Friends, let's name the lie and get it out of our our lives. I know that we've been in pandemic mode and that everything has been focused on our physical health. That's been good. And, And as a result of that, we've now been overly focused on what we can handle emotionally. And that's fine, and and that's good. But friends, there is a reason why we did a whole Lenten series on anxiety a couple of years ago. It is still a command not to be anxious. It is still a command not to be worried, to overcome with these things. And it is still a command to the fix for it is still to point our eyes on Jesus, on the Father who takes care of the lilies and the sparrows. It's all right there in Matthew 6. That's where we went in Lent. A few years back, go back and look. It's beautiful. We had Matt Barnhill come and, and lead us in some things with anxiety. I encourage you to get to truly dig in and go, no, I'm just not gonna be given to this. I'm gonna wage war against it. Because you know who else was who else was anxious? Abraham. When God said, I want you to leave everything from Ur and go to a land that I haven't shown you. That feels a little out of order. I would like to be promised safe passage and where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> Jacob, I want you to head back. Yeah, yeah, I know your, your, your brother Esau wants to murder you. I got that. If you could just go, though. Oh. Abraham, I want you to saddle up. I want you to get your only son, Isaac, and we're going to go up to Mount Moriah where we're going to go ahead and sacrifice him. God has a long track record of asking, dare I say, telling his people to do things that are far beyond our physical health and well beyond our mental well-being. You ever think that's part of the growth process for our spiritual vitality? After all, Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. He is perfecting trust in you through difficult, terrible seasons of darkness and mystery. That's the good. That's the beautiful good that he's doing here for Jacob as he marks him on his hip and gives him this new name. It's all over the Old Testament that God would wound us to heal us. So we look at, I'm not going to look there, I'm just going to reference it. Amos, many of you probably did your quiet time in Amos this week. Amos 4, 6 through 11, I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to tell you what it says. God with, it says, basically, God is prophesying to the nation of Israel. And he's saying, look, I have withheld rain from you. I've withheld food from you. I've withheld drinking water. I have sent mildew to your crops. I've sent locusts to to devour your gardens, your fig trees, your olive trees. I have done everything. I have sent pestilence upon you. I've allowed your young men to die in war. I overthrew you, it says, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, that brings back some references. And yet you did not return to me, the Lord says. He has has given them physical and emotional distress so that their souls would be made whole. Oh, that we would lean into this kind of God that may allow difficulty, darkness, disorientation, so that we may find wholeness in our soul with him. 
If you don't believe that one, let me just sum it up with Isaiah 6, verse 1. Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us so that he may heal us. He has struck us down, but oh, the promise remains that he will bind us up. Yes, God is not most concerned about our physical or emotional health or comfort, but instead, the author and perfecter of our faith wants to make us whole in our soul with him. But it's not just this physical pain that he, he distressed Jacob with for the rest of his life. It was also this emotional and absolute spiritual pain that he inflicted. And you might go, well, where did that happen? Verse 27, Jacob, what is your name? You think God didn't know who he was wrestling with? Of course he knew. You know what he wants from Jacob? He wants him to say, I'm a thief. That's what Jacob means. I'm a deceiver. That's who I am. You want me to come out? You want me to, you want me to, you want me to be myself? You want, me to be, you want me to be naked in front of the light? You want me to be vulnerable in front of you and be confess my sins? I mean, why do we confess our sins in here? I'm a deceiver. My name is Jacob. And don't you know all the movie tricks in the world happened inside of Jacob's mind in this moment, and he was transported back in the past when his dad said to him, who are you? I'm Esau. Oh, no, Jacob comes clean in this moment, and many people, many scholars may even say that it's in this moment that if Jacob did not say Jacob, he would have been killed on the spot. But instead, he comes clean and says, I'm the one that gets ahead by pulling other people back. But our God does not leave us in that condemnation forever. He says, no, you're not. I know you thought you were Jacob. I know you thought you were a deceiver. I know you acted out of that name your whole life. But today, my man, your identity changes. You're no longer going to be known as deceiver and thief. Now you're going to be known as the one who strives against man and against God and has endured forever. And that, my friends, is your name, the name of Israel. And Jacob goes, oh, so every time I limp, I'm going to be reminded I'm not Jacob. Every time there's pain in my life, every time there's failure in my life, I'm not going to be reminded of deceiver and thief. That's not who God sees me as anymore. He sees me as the one who's endured, the one who's persevered, the one who's prevailed. That's who God sees me as. I don't know about you and where you are, but I'll bet you that when you, when you fall, when you stumble, when you're reminded that you're a mortal, and that you're called to depend on him and life just doesn't work out, I'm going to bet you you go to the bad place and you go, well, it's because I've, just, I've run out of passes with God. If Jacob has not run out of passes with God, dare I say you won't either. No, no. God's rich vat and bank of grace has no end. The balance on your bank account with him, as long as you are in Christ, is always in the black and never in the red because he has provided, lavished his grace upon you. But if you do not find Christ as your king, you are always in the red. You will always be seen as thief and deceiver and liar and pushed out. That's why God came. To touch us, to wound us, to bind us, 
to himself and to follow him no matter what. God's purposes are good when he wounds you to cause you to return to him because when we hide from him, we will not find freedom. But also, I would just ask, what identity are you living out of? When you sin, do you wallow in self-guilt, wondering if God could ever forgive a sinner like you? And I would say it's because of the sinner like you that he came. It's because of the sinner like me that he came. Yes, you've done it again. Can God love you? Of course he does. No, the answer to have I run out of grace is absolutely no. God's bank of grace has no end for sinners. It is an eternal river flowing towards you, and you should not take a bucket out of that river and then go just walk away as if it's good for you to just take a little bit of grace. You're going to run out before you head, head out of the bank. Get yourself in the river and let it take you to where God wants to take you, into this promised land with Jacob, into a beautiful relationship with his self. Now, I know we're going long, but I'm about to end. The last thing that this beautiful God does when he wrestles with us is that he gives us a blessing. Look at 26 and then 29 and 30. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. You know, God doesn't answer here. One thing he asked. Nope. And there he blessed him. He gave him something better. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Keep reading with me in 31 and 32. The sun rose up on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on his hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. I don't know about you, but I ask, what is the blessing? We don't know. But here's my best guess. The blessing, especially for us as we read this story, and perhaps for Jacob, is that you are never truly blessed until you receive the blessing of God. Jacob has looked his whole life for blessing. Oh, can I get it from my father, Isaac? Nope. He doesn't want to bless you. He wants to bless Esau. So you've got to dress up and pretend like you're somebody else. Oh, can I get the blessing from, from, from a woman? I'll even work for her for free for seven years. I'll anything. Nope, that's not going to do either. Okay, I'll work for Laban, and maybe I'll get his blessing. Mm -mm. A man who had given himself to being blessed by all sorts of people found here at Peniel. He was never blessed, could never be blessed until his father in heaven blessed him with acceptance and love, even as he said, I'm a thief. Even as he said, I'm a deceiver. Our God beckons us to be close to him, to wrestle with him when necessary, because he wants to engage us, to break off the malaise of just getting through life, to remove us from our walk any sort of unawareness that our God comes down and wrestles mercifully with sinners just to bless us abundantly. 
I just read the end of the passage. The people of Israel, the people that would come from this man, now Israel, would remember this moment, this wrestling match, this wound, so that he could be bound up in the Lord. They would remember this every time they would butcher an animal by setting aside the sinew of the hip. They would not eat that part every single time. This is not in the law of Moses. This was done because they wanted to do this. They wanted to remember this wrestling match. We too need to remember this wrestling match. We too need to remember that that we also, along with Jacob, oftentimes we are the walking wounded. We haven't figured this thing out. We walk with a God that leads us through darkness, that wounds us to heal us. That doesn't logically make sense. Why would he do that? To get us to not be so self-sufficient. He reminds us through this that, yes, we're the walking wounded. Yes, we are the broken, but the blessed. And sometimes we cannot have one without the other. In Jesus, though, this is the ultimate hope of this wrestling match. In Jesus, we find the God who came down. The God who wrestles with man, and he was overcome by him. We serve a God where he did not walk away with a limp, but he gave his life fully so that we might live with him forever. And friends, he beckons you to a life not of self-sufficiency without a God who will wound you to bind you. But he calls you to a life that can only be found by losing yourself. By putting our hope in the resurrection of the dead and find our joy and ultimate rest in his son, Jesus. And so I ask you, he's come down to wrestle with you. You walked away. Or you engage in a God who wants something more for you than for you to just walk away with, without him. Let's pray. Oh God, our God, you have come to be with sinners. And oh, though many times it may hurt or it may re- yield a result that we didn't prefer through a, a wound or a limp, we confess our flesh wants to walk away from, from this night. Our flesh wants us to walk away from a God who will come down and, and, and skadoosh our hip. But oh, that you would put in us a holy longing to be near you even if it hurts momentarily. Even if there's a wound that we would walk away from, we would rather have the wound and our God, oh Lord. Put that, cultivate that in our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak that truth to us. We would rather be wounded with God than to be whole and healing somehow without you. There's a great lie in this country and all over the world that's been broadcast through our radios and TVs. That God would never do anything to hurt us. And that's true ultimately. It's always for our good. But there are times where he loves us so much that he won't just let us walk away from him. He'll bring us to the end of comfort, to the end of emotional peace. He'll stir the waters in our souls so that we're disoriented. We 
find no other peace and no other rest, not in circumstance or in people or in horizontal blessing or success, all, that, all the things Jacob had. We find our ultimate rest in you. So would we run to our Father and find our hope in you, O oh God. Help us by your Spirit. We find a bounty of forgiveness and assurance that you're with us and you're for us. Help us, O oh Lord. In Christ's name do I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.